All right, everybody. Uh, please, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 42. This evening, we're going to do a real bird's eye whistle stop tour of chapters 42 to 45. Uh, and I know, again, many of you will be familiar with perhaps much of the story of Joseph. Uh, but even if you're not so familiar with it, hopefully with our sort of bird's eye view this evening, you're going to get uh, a better familiarity with what God is doing. Now, we opened up with the Guess the Movie, Guess the Movie title. And some of the best movies and the best stories, I think, are the ones where the hero sets out on a mighty and even seemingly impossible quest. But they're willing to go to the ends of the earth to find a treasure, uh, to destroy a ring, to overthrow an evil or save the one they love. One of the things we've been seeing in the story of Joseph so far this week is how far God will go to bring his family to him, to how far God will go to rescue people from their sin and welcome them into his family. And the answer we're going to keep on finding is that God is willing to go as far as it takes. He will turn the world upside down to rescue people, however, however much sin and mess they've gotten themselves into. But there is something that we need to do in response, something we need to do to receive his help, to receive his rescue. And it's that response from us that I want to focus on this evening as we go into these next few chapters. Tom ended last night talking about how a person, how, how you could become a real genuine Christian and come into a real relationship with God. Well, we're going to pick up where Tom left off and think more now together about how a person can become a genuine Christian. Because we want you to know this week, God is still very much in the business of rescuing sinners. He was doing it back in Joseph's day and he is still doing it today. And he's already gone to the greatest possible lengths to make a way for you and I to be saved and rescued. But as we're gonna see, the one thing he asks is that we accept his invitation. The question is, are Joseph's brothers willing to accept that invitation? Are they willing to accept God's rescue plan for them? And even more importantly this evening, are we willing? Are you willing? Okay, let's dive in. I've got three headings. Um, you'll see them as we go through. But these three headings tonight, they're the three stages in the journey of how someone becomes a genuine Christian. Beginning with honesty about our sin. Honesty about our sin. Chapter 42, it begins at a pivotal moment for Joseph's family, sorry, for, and for Jacob's family. Jacob and his family, they are nearly at death's door because of this famine that has struck the land. They are physically starving and they realise that their only hope is to go and buy grain from a foreign land from Egypt. Now, we know what's been going on over there in Egypt already. We've been looking at that the last couple of nights and we know who they're going to find there when they get there. But they don't know any of that. They don't know what's been taking place in this foreign land of Egypt. All they know is Egypt's got food and they're hoping against hope that someone there can sell some food to them. So let's read a little bit from chapter 42, beginning at verse three. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, 
But Jacob, their father, did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And we're, uh, people might say, what a coincidence. We know it's not a coincidence. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. See, what we find is these brothers, they don't recognize their little brother Joseph because it's probably been 20 plus years. He's grown up. He's been living in Egypt all this time. He probably looks like an Egyptian now. They don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. And maybe Joseph was, was ready. He was about to spill the beans and tell them that he knew who they were. But then he remembers those dreams that he, he had long, long ago. We had them on Monday night, but it's been a long time for Joseph. And remembering those dreams, he realizes it's no accident that my brothers are here. Bowing down before me, just like in the dream God gave to me. And maybe for the first time in all of those years, Joseph is beginning to realize why God has put him through all of those hard things that he's been through. It was to bring him here so that he could save his family. But Joseph also knows that in order to really save his brothers, not just from famine, but from their past sin and their wickedness, they need to come to a place of honesty and sorrow for what they've done. It's no good just giving them food. It'll keep them going a bit longer. But they need to see what's going on in their hearts and come to a place of honesty and sorrow for what they've done. And so instead of reveal himself immediately, kind of go, ta-da, it's me, it's your brother Joseph, he puts them to the test to see if there's any change in them. And so he does this by accusing them of being spies. He doesn't really think they're spies, but this is how he's going to test them. Look at verse 10. They said to him, as he's accused them of being spies, they, they respond, they say to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. That's not a great start, is it? They may not be spies, but could you really call Joseph's brothers honest men? They've been lying to their father for years about what happened to their brother Joseph and telling him he was killed by wild animals. Here's the thing. When any of us do things that are wrong and that we shouldn't do, the temptation is so often, it is with me, to, shall I, what if I just lie about it? What if I just cover it up and don't tell anybody? What if I pretend that I'm all is well and I'm being honest? It's kind of like we think, if I pretend I'm okay and make others believe I'm okay, then maybe I will be okay. But we're not okay, even when we're pretending. None of us are okay. We do things every day that hurt other people, and we all sin against God and fail to trust him and worship him as we should. Here's the thing. God is not looking for fake holiness 
That's not what makes someone a Christian. He's not looking for fake holiness. He is looking for humble honesty. Okay? You might want to write that down. Not looking for fake holiness, but humble honesty. God doesn't want us to pretend that we're okay. God doesn't show grace and mercy to people who pretend they're good people. God pours out the riches of his kindness and mercy on those who are honest about failing to be good. Honest about failing to be godly people. You see, God is an honest God. He's the God of truth. He loves to be honest. And what he wants first and foremost from you and me is not that we pretend, but he wants us to be honest about our guilt and sin. There's no point in us pretending with God. We can fool other people. You can't fool God. So there is no point in us pretending. That's why God, through Joseph, is now going to press on this particular sin of dishonesty in the brothers. Someone has described this little, what's now happening, as God pressing on the pus point of sin in their lives. Uh, I don't know if anybody's had something on their body that has gone pussy. Maybe you get bitten by something or infected by something and... Oh, I, I just hate even the, the word is horrible, isn't it? Pus. And then you see it and it's oozing and, and you just, you don't want to touch it or go near it and you just want to be rid of it. It's a revolting picture, but it's pretty accurate. Sin is like an invisible pus within us. It's revolting and messy and it doesn't belong there, but it is there. And God, for the sake of saving us from it, is happy and okay with putting his finger on it. He's happy to press the sore point, press the pus in our lives until we will own up to it and confess how hideous it is and how much we need rescuing from our sin. These brothers though, I don't think they're ready to admit it yet. So Joseph puts them in prison to think and reflect on it. And the truth is, we'd all like to skip that time in the cells to look at our sin and think about it. We'd rather just get past that and never even go there. Especially, I think, if we've grown up in a Christian home and we're fairly well-behaved people. We can be even more reluctant to think about how deeply riddled we are with sin. How we can often be so selfish and envious and greedy and unloving. But whether we like facing it or not, we do need to face it. We need to see what our hearts are really like. And until we're willing to face that, there's no hope of us taking the next step of asking God to rescue us. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 says this. Okay, this is, you'll see this is in two halves. Two options for us, and they're so different. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves... And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To become a Christian, we must take the first step of being honest with ourselves and with God about our sin. Well, amazingly, for the, maybe for the first time in their lives, these brothers begin to be honest with themselves about the kind of men they are. Uh, chapter 42, verse 21, then they, this is in their prison cell. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Now, what's really moving here 
I mean, we think movies are well written, but the way God works in history is just as powerful, more so. What's moving here is they're speaking to each other now in their own language, and they think that Joseph can't understand them because he's an Egyptian. But of course, Joseph can understand them. And as he hears them being honest with each other, it makes him weep. Sometimes we can be so afraid to tell God about our sin, almost like we're afraid he's going to be shocked by it. He's going to say, you did what? I can't believe you did that. But God already knows what we've done. He already hears the very thoughts of our hearts, even while we're still thinking maybe about how we could tell him how bad we've been. And like Joseph, when God hears those thoughts, his heart is moved with compassion for us. His heart is full of love for those who are humble, messy people who are willing to be honest about our sin. So that is the first step in becoming a Christian. Honesty with God about our sin. The second step we see in tonight's chapters is this. Repentance and faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith in Jesus. Joseph now is going to give them the opportunity to show they're willing to become honest men. And he's going to test them to see if they're really willing to turn from their old way of life, which is what repentance means. It just means turning around, turning from our old sinful ways back to God and trusting in him to rescue us. And so what Joseph does is he keeps one of the brothers, Simeon, in prison in Egypt and he sends all of the rest of them home to their father with the grain that they needed on the understanding that they must come back to Egypt and bring with them their youngest brother, Benjamin, next time. Only then will Simeon be set free, and only then will all of them escape the death penalty that hangs over them. The question is, will they keep their promise to return with, with Benjamin? Will their sorrow for their past sin turn into real repentance and faith in Joseph? Now, it looks like they might be genuinely willing, but then there's another problem, as always happens. Jacob, their father, is not willing to let Benjamin go with them. He is still sinfully playing favourites with his children. If you remember on the first night, this was Jacob's big sin. He, was, he showed favouritism to one of his sons. And he's doing it again with Benjamin. He's making clear that he loves his son Benjamin more than he loves the rest of them. And he's not willing to repent and trust this mysterious ruler in Egypt. But of course, the food that they got starts to run out and so Jacob says to his sons chapter 43 verse 2 go again buy us a little food but Judah said to him the man solemnly warned us saying you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you if you will send our brother with us we will go down and buy you food but if you will not send him we will not go down for the man said to us you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you Things now are worse than ever. But then an incredible transformation starts to take place in one of the sons in particular. Judah is willing to put his own life on the line. Judah is willing to entrust his fate to God and to this mysterious ruler in Egypt. And this is a major sign of, of someone really turning to God for real. This is a picture of real faith and repentance. But it's more than that with Judah. 
Judah here as well is another pointer to the only one who can truly save us from our sins. He's, and I don't know if we've talked about this family connection. He's pointing us to his great, 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 and maybe a few more greats, grandson. Anyone know who that is? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In one sense, we need to be like Judah here to become a Christian. We need to be genuinely sorry for our sins and repentant. We want to turn back to God. But at the same time, the only way any of us can actually be saved is by having someone like Judah, an older brother like Judah, who can do what we could never do, put his life on the line to save us. Jesus is that older brother we need, sent by God to give his life to save us. Have a look at chapter 43, verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring Benjamin back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And so with Benjamin now with them, they go back down to Egypt to stand before Joseph. But Joseph has one more test for them. One which I'm going to leave you to read about in your own time. We're going to jump ahead a bit. But the result of the final test is this. Though Simeon goes free, Benjamin's life is now forfeit. Benjamin is going to be lost to them. He is about to be lost forever, that most precious brother and son, unless someone is willing to step into the breach as a substitute and offer himself in Benjamin's place to rescue him. That man is Judah. Chapter 44, verse 18. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself, which if you're making the connections is like us saying, Jesus, you are like God himself. My Lord, he says, asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you, Joseph, said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And then verse 30, now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then... As his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. They're saying our dad's going to die of shock and terror and heartache if we don't take Benjamin home with us. Then he says, verse 32, for your servant now, talking about himself, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, 
and let the boy go back with his brothers. Now, what Judah is doing here for Benjamin is just like what Jesus has done for us in three particular ways. And I've done these in three Ps. Hopefully that's helpful. Here's what Judah's doing is just like what Jesus has done for us. Three Ps. First of all, have we got a P? Lovely. Judah has made a promise to his father. He said, I promise to protect Benjamin, even if it costs me my life. Jesus has made a promise to God the Father. He made a promise to come and protect all of God's children, even at the expense of his own life. Secondly, Judah pleads for Benjamin before Joseph. He pleads with him, please free him. Take me in his place. Just as Jesus now pleads for every single Christian, every single sinner who trusts in him before God the Father. Every single Christian can sing these words, and we're going to sing these words afterwards. We can sing these words with absolute confidence and certainty. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We have a saviour in heaven tonight, if we're a Christian, who stands before the Father and is always pleading for us, which means showing the Father, I have died for their sins, so count their sin upon me and not them. And then thirdly, Judah offers, third P, he offers his own life as a payment for Benjamin's. Now Judah is actually the first person in the Bible who willingly uh, offers up his own life in the place of another person. But, uh, so, well, in a similar way, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, a payment for many people, to give his life for all of those people, past, present and future, who would simply be honest about their sin, who would turn to him and ask him for forgiveness and rescue. But there's a big difference between Judah and Jesus as well. Judah was willing to put his life on the line for one brother, Benjamin. But in the end, he didn't die. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, actually laid down his life for all the sins of every single Christian believer. The question is tonight, are you a genuine Christian? Are you a Christian? Becoming a Christian in one sense is like the easiest thing in the world. We don't have to go on a quest to get rid of a ring or climb a great mountain. We don't have to set out on a mission of making ourselves a better person to earn favor with God. We certainly can't offer to sacrifice our own lives to save our lives. But the good news is we don't have to do any of those things. We don't have to do anything except repent, that means turn to God, be honest about our sin and ask him to forgive us and rescue us through Jesus. It's that simple. And yet at the same time, as we've seen with Joseph's brothers, it can be hard to be willing to do that. They took years to get there. And you have to think to yourself, if only they had done this earlier in their lives. So my question to you again this evening is, are you willing to do this? If you haven't done it already, are you willing to confess your sin to God and ask for his forgiveness? To turn from living without God and instead turn to trusting in his son Jesus to save you. 
you don't have to wait until you're older. You don't have to wait until your sin has just made an even bigger mess of your life before you do what the brothers did. You don't have to go through the pain and the difficulty of having half your life or, 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 or most of your life or all of your life without God, cut off from God by your sin. You don't have to do any of that. God saves people of all ages, young and old, but the best, let me tell you, the best age to trust in Jesus and be saved is as young and as soon as possible because it's the best and most life-transforming life decision you will ever, ever make. It literally transforms the future course of your life on earth and forever. And in our final section this evening, which is chapter 45, we're going to get a little taste of the joy and the freedom that comes from putting our trust in Jesus. So thirdly and finally and briefly, forgiveness and welcome into God's family. This is the third I want to say third step of becoming a Christian. This isn't something we do, though. This is the fruit of us trusting in Jesus. This is what happens to us. The result of the brothers trusting Joseph and the result of our trusting Jesus is the most incredible family reunion. And, and this, again, this is so moving. Have a look at Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So everyone that... Apart from the brothers, everyone else, I want them out of the room. And so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Suddenly their eyes are opened and they realize this mysterious Egyptian ruler that we've been dealing with all these times is none other than our brother Joseph. But what's interesting is rather than fill them with immediate joy and relief and jubilation, their hearts are suddenly full of worry and dismay. This is the brother they betrayed all of those years ago. This God-given rescuer is the very person that they sinned against most grievously. What will he do to them now that he has absolute power and authority over them? Now, it can be like this sometimes when a person first realizes for themselves who Jesus really is. I've been on Christianity Explored courses, which is where you um, sit down with some non-Christian friends and begin to show them the gospel and who Jesus is. And I've been with some people when they start to realize that Jesus is really God's son, which is good news. They get a little bit nervous. They start to realize this Jesus has all authority and power over them. And that can be a scary realization at first. Perhaps for many years, these people have laughed at Christians. They've maybe mocked God and thought Jesus was totally insignificant. But now the truth of who he is is dawning on them in these groups and they can feel nervous. What might he do to them? And it's quite possible. Maybe you've been sat here this evening sat here this week thinking to yourself what if I do decide to be honest with God and confess my sin to him won't he be rightly cross and angry and want to punish me for what I've done won't he want to come down hard on me well I want you to listen to Joseph's response to his brothers his response is a beautiful echo of Jesus's response to all those who come honestly to him 
Have a look at verse four, chapter 45. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, Joseph doesn't deny that they did wrong. He doesn't say what you did, it doesn't matter, it's not important. No, what he says is far, far better than that. He has compassion on them. He forgives them, he even comforts them. Don't be distressed, he says. God sent me here before you to save you. And that's what Jesus says to each and every one of us if we will come to him honest and sorry for what we've done. He will say to us, don't be distressed. I want you to take comfort for God has sent me to rescue you and cover all of your sins. Jesus shows us immeasurable grace and forgiveness. He welcomes us home into God's family. The Bible says, literally, um, the Father welcomes us with open arms. And when one sinner is saved, the, the angels throw a party in heaven. That's why God sent his son to die, to rescue sinners. Some of us sometimes would say we would love God to work a miracle in our lives. Well, let me tell you, the greatest miracle God can ever work in our lives is to bring us to a place of genuine honesty, repentance, and trust in Jesus. Could it be that if God hasn't already worked a miracle in your life up to now, could it be that he wants to work this miracle in your life on this camp? I really believe he does. All you need to do is respond like Joseph's brothers and ask Jesus to show you his mercy forgive you your sins. Chapter 45 ends with a perfect ending to a perfect day. And, uh, and like Tom, I want to finish by reading to you something that I read that really moved me. This should come up on the screen, just from a book I was reading. As Joseph embraced all his brothers, all the guilt had gone. Joy had won the day. As they relaxed with each other, they no doubt talked and talked long into the evening. It was the end of a perfect day. He took the time to reassure them in much the same way that our Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, took time with the disciples to reassure them of who he was and of his continued love for them. We have a picture of a new family, a new community of the forgiven and the reconciled. It is a picture of what the church should be, a place where fallen and sinful people find themselves accepted and included once again. With the brothers reconciled, there's now an invitation from the king to all the children of Israel to come and enjoy the best of Egypt. Well, tonight, an even greater king, the king of kings, is holding out an even better invitation to you to make him your Lord and saviour. And so come and enjoy all of the blessings of being a Christian. God is inviting you. And if you want to accept that invitation, 
Again, it's so simple. All you have to do is tell him. Talk to God. You don't even have to do it out loud. He hears your thoughts. Talk to him in your mind and your heart. He hears you. Be honest with him about your sin. Tell him you are genuinely sorry. Tell him you want to turn from living without him, that you want to put your trust in him, that you want him to forgive you and welcome you for real into his family. And he will save you. That is God's promise. Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to do what we could not do, for sending your son to be the one who would step into the breach and lay down his life in our place so that we could be offered the most incredible rescue. Oh Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room this evening. Father, for some of us, we have accepted that invitation. We have received that rescue. And Lord, our prayer is simply you would take us deeper into enjoying the goodness and the, the, the blessings of that great salvation. But Lord, I know there are some in this room who maybe heard that invitation before, but still are struggling to respond for themselves. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help them now to turn to you in their hearts and genuinely express with honesty their sorrow for their sin. Genuinely ask Jesus to rescue them. Put their trust in him. Oh Lord, we do pray that no one would go home from this camp without really considering that great invitation. Oh Lord, we pray that no one would go home without responding, placing their trust in Jesus. Lord, as we, as we spend a bit more time now singing about all that you have done, Lord, we pray that the things we've just heard would continue to do a work in our minds and hearts. Lord, may the words of the songs we're about to sing only plant these seeds of such good news deeper into our hearts as we sing these things together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.